Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of Sisters on Air on the Voice of Islam Radio, a women's show where we explore a variety of topics relating to women in religion and society. I'm your host, Khulud Tahir, and I wanted to start off today's episode by sharing a quote. This is a quote which, when I first heard, it stayed in my mind for a very long time and really made me think. It was, no man is an island. That is, no man is an island. Isn't it such a thought-provoking notion, aside from the imagery it insinuates, just the concept that no matter how hard one tries to be self-reliant or independent, the reality is no human can ever be self-sufficient. In actuality, the very essence of our personal well-being as humans is tied to the quality of our personal relationships be it your relationship and connection with the Supreme Being, or that of with fellow humans, your family, your friends, or even your local community. The more closely related we as humans are to our loved ones, the happier we feel and the more personal satisfaction we have in our lives. In today's episode of Sisters on Air, we will be delving into these ideas further thinking about the importance of personal connections and friendships in the lives of women and especially the unique perspective of Muslim women and how for them faith and religion ties into it all. I am delighted to introduce my guest for today. We have Uneza who has done an MC in molecular medicine and we have Nadia who is studying psychology at university. Thank you both for joining me for this discussion. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Um, Shall we start off today's episode by hearing from the both of you the role friendships have played in the different stages of your life and in shaping the people that you are today? And what has been the impact of faith and your identity as a Muslim woman in all of this? Um, Uneza, let's start with you. Yeah, so um, for most people, their first bond of friendship is that with their mothers and the kindness, the support, the guidance. And so many of the qualities that characterize this bond are the ones that we then go on to look for in our friendships as well. Obviously, as a child, our idea of friendship is having someone to play with, and there isn't much else that concerns us at that stage. But children also tend to be quite perceptive and observant, and they quietly take the influence of others around them, especially their friends from wanting similar toys or dresses to picking their mannerisms and habits. I think we're influenced by our friends in more ways than we realize. In fact, looking back, I realized that the height of my ambitions and my future plans were very much influenced by my friendships. I remember that my friends who were athletic, they would push me to take part in sports, even if it was just because they needed a partner in three-legged race. And the ones who were hardworking challenged me to do better in my studies. And I remember this way I ended up learning so many skills and finding new interests just because I had a friend to do it with. Of course, as a Muslim, my faith always taught me to have friends who are good people and seek friends with good morals and and values. Um, Given the impact of our friendship on us, it's clear why Allah the Almighty also admonishes us to have righteous friends, as he says in the Holy Quran, chapter 9, verse 119. And I quote, O ye who believe, fear Allah and be with the truthful. End quote. However, whether someone is religious or not, we feel naturally inclined to surround ourselves with people who are positive and they encourage us to be a better version of ourselves. I remember when I moved here to the UK and and, and attended secondary school in London, I thought it might be really hard to make friends as I had come from a different country. But then I soon realized that it is possible to find common ground with people from a completely different part of the world. 
and how the values that lie at the core of humanity and friendship were shared amongst people from different faiths and backgrounds. Um, the friendships, they became more meaningful as I grew older, and one aspect that stayed constant was the motivation and support I always received from them. I remember a saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that, and I quote, he who keeps company with the righteous does not encounter ill fortune, end quote. I personally experienced this as I found that every time I was surrounded by friends who valued morality and honesty, it became a source of peace and comfort just to be with them. And they increased my knowledge, they broadened my perspective, and many times I was inspired by their virtues to be a better version of myself. And then during my time at university, when we take part in group studies and projects, and obviously the friendships grow stronger and we get the chance to teach difficult concepts to one another, share opportunities, skills, and push one another to produce the best work. I realized that I had enjoyed my group projects the most, and, and the secret to success for humanity also lied in unity. It's sort of looking after one another's well-being and then progressing together. Yes, indeed, I completely agree. Thank you for sharing that, Uneza. Um, Nadia, what about you? So first of all, thank you for having me on this wonderful show. I am really excited to be here today. As for your question, I think that friendships are a vital part of our lives and in fact make up a lot of who we are as people as well. Personally, I have had the blessed opportunity to be able to make friends with many wonderful people everywhere I go. Places like school, moving into different schools, workplaces, and now currently at university as well. I have been able to meet wonderful people whom I like to consider my friends. I think often about how the person that I am today is really owing to the friends around me. I say this because I feel like I have picked up certain traits and qualities from my friends and I like to think my, of myself as a little collection of each of my friends. Thanks to Allah Almighty as well, I have been blessed with good friends in each stages of my life so far. Praise be to Allah. As for the impact of how I as a Muslim has played into my friendships, I look back and realise the majority of it that my friends are actually Muslims themselves. I find this fascinating actually, because it makes me realize that I am actually more comfortable around those who share the same or similar beliefs to mine, because it becomes something we share in common. And obviously it's an excellent conversation starter as well. For example, when the time of month, uh, the month of Ramadan comes around, my friends and I share our stories of what we eat before starting our fasts and what foods we eat to break our fasts. And it feels really lovely to have that sort of connection and the familiarity between us friends. When I think about friendships within Islam, I am reminded about an address delivered by His Holiness Musurur Ahmed, current worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, may Allah be his helper, and how in this address, His Holiness explained the rights of friends. His Holiness said, and I quote, Islam teaches to honor the rights of friends. One should befriend those who are pure of heart and then honor that friendship, end quote. His Holiness also mentioned in the address that Islam teaches to honor friendship for the sake of God. Any other friendship is merely temporary, whereas a friendship for the sake of God carries a firm and strong bond, which is beyond mere friendship and can therefore be sustained. This also increases the love with which friends treat one another. The Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that anyone who prays for their brother when they are not present, angels pray for the same to be accepted in their favour of the supplicant. His Holiness explained that the term brother's hair includes friends as well. This is how Islam shines a light of love between friends. Islam also teaches that friends should not be upset with one another and refrain from speaking with one another for more than three days. Islam also teaches that one should be uphold friendships 
of their parents, even after they've passed away, for the honour of friendships for generations. Just thinking about the points within this address shows the importance of friends in millions of ways, in my opinion. Nadia, thank you. Um, I love what you said about you feeling like a little collection of each of your friends. Yeah. <laughs> it was so heartwarming. And thank you also so much for sharing those gems from His Holiness's address. Um, yeah, so we have established through both of your personal experiences that friendships play a key role in the social, cognitive, communicative and emotional development of humans throughout their lifetimes. They can play a vital role in improving one's self-confidence and self-worth and also increasing one's sense of belonging and purpose. At times of stress and difficulty, friends can help one cope with trauma and help to reduce stress as they often have a unique connection and level of trust between them. Even medical research supports this and suggests that strong social connections improve a person's prospects for good health and longevity, as they have a reduced risk of many significant health problems, including depression, high blood pressure, an unhealthy body mass index. And um, studies have also found that older adults who have meaningful relationships and social support are likely to live longer than their peers with fewer connections. And indeed, social connections and interactions are even more important at the early stages of life, where social developmental milestones alongside gross motor, fine motor and vision and speech and language milestones are one of the four categories that are tracked by doctors in the first few years of every child's life to measure healthy development and growth. Um, Nadia, could you explore this in a bit more detail for us? Um, I was particularly wondering about why social interactions and connections in the early stages of a child's life are important for their development and how this benefits them even later on in life in their teenage years and then adulthood. So to me, this question is actually really perfect for my area of research and for my study as well. So as a psychology student, I can tell you that there is so much to say about this. But given the time we have available, I will just stick to the main points. As you have mentioned yourself, medical research shows evidence between good friendships and good health in general. The same goes for developing connections and friendships as a child. During the early stages of a child's upbringing, it is important that they develop an attachment to their caregiver, who in many cases would be their their mother. Someone who, is fe- someone who is feeding them and meeting their needs in terms of playing and quality time. This is actually really important because it develops trust within the bond that they have with their caregiver at an early stage, which is then used as a guidance for friendships further on in their lives. In fact, in a study I learned about, there had been a case of a girl who had, a, who had minimal human contact during the early years of her life. And as a result, she displayed a severe lack of emotional development and even a, a lack of intelligence. Hearing this itself already shows us how important it is to develop close bonds with children, especially during their early life. I mean, it can be seen as a little bit of an exaggeration at first, that how can a child's entire life be dependent on their early life attachment? Mm -hmm. But it is actually quite serious. And in many cases, it has also been shown that so many negative impacts of little to no attachment, and more importantly, how it impacted the child's life. Another area of research also shows that the lack of social interaction can actually impact the physical growth in the left hemisphere of your brain, 
which actually, unfortunately, leads to an increased risk of depression in children and a number of other mental health disorders. Wow, I actually did not know that. (laughs) So it may sound a little controversial, but according to the psychological perspective in many cases, the attachment and upbringing of a child are reliant on mothers. This is mainly because the mothers are usually the primary caretakers of a child. And there is a special mother-child bond that is seen in many families. Studies also show that up to the age of adolescence, children naturally gravitate towards their mothers far more than their fathers, giving mothers a greater opportunity to influence and teach their children. There is also considerable evidence that children who are deprived of a mother's attention, especially at a young age, develop more emotional, social and psychological problems later in life. In fact, a recent 10-year study of 1,300 Americans found that the more hours that toddlers spent in daycare, the more aggressive they had become. This also brings me to a quote by His Holiness Mirza Tahir Ahmed, the fourth head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. May Allah have mercy on him. And I quote, An Ahmadi woman is indeed quite capable of fulfilling the Holy Prophet Muhammad's peace and blessings of Allah be upon him's expectations of creating an example of paradise in this world. She should be a source of such attraction and charm for her home, whereby she becomes an axis and the members of her family rotate around her. They do not find comfort outside, but find peace and tranquility in their homes. So from this quote alone, actually, it shows how important early bonds are between mothers or parents uh, and their child, let alone the world later on in their lives. I think it's also really important to note that when an infant's primary need for social connections is met through bonding with caregivers, young children actually begin to create a social relationship outside their families. Interacting with other children their age through school or other environments help children mature in their ability to interact with one another socially. So that is why I think it's really important for early stage bonds within children for their later lives. Nadia, that was really interesting and the results of some of those studies were really eye-opening for me. They really do go to show the vital importance of social interaction for young children. Thank you so much for sharing. No, that's okay. (laughs) Um, Now, I'd like to delve into a bit more detail about female friendships specifically. Um, There is a common saying that men are from Mars and women are from Venus, which basically means that females are inherently different from men. And indeed, it is true. Women think differently, act differently, solve problems differently and are more emotionally driven than logically driven. And a lot of data supports this. For example, a UCLA study that is University of California, Los Angeles, um, conducted by Laura Klein and Shelley Taylor, found that women were genetically wired to befriend and tend to people in times of stress, while men were more likely to exhibit a fight or flight response. This is because of a hormone called oxytocin, which is hypothesized to play a role in emotional bonding and is enhanced by estrogen in women and reduced by testosterone in men. And so, in navigating through life, women are more willing to share details and their emotions with their female friends, and it provides for them support when they go through difficult times and need help or a safe space to talk about personal problems they're facing, like serious illness or job loss or the death of a loved one, etc., Um, And being great listeners and sharers, female friends are more likely to listen to context and how an issue makes them feel before giving needed advice. And having similar or shared living experiences enables women to relate to each other in a unique way, enabling them to demonstrate empathy and understanding. 
As Gloria Steinem, a famous journalist and social political activist, once said, and I quote, women understand. We understand that there is a continuing struggle for our gender to be seen, heard and valued in the same way as men. Our most excellent chance to combat gender discrimination and inequality are to fight it together. That's what women have been doing for years and it's led to some of the most effective changes to society and culture. That's the power of female friendships. And that's why it doesn't matter if the world is ready for them because they're happening now and they have been happening for years and they are getting stronger each day, all the while affecting change against misogyny, oppression and discrimination. End quote. So female friendships, all in all, can really help to address deep psychological issues and identity issues and boundaries. And especially for teenagers and young adults, these friendships play a huge role in figuring out who they are and providing companionship and comfort. Um, Uneza, in Gloria Steinem's quote that I just read out, she mentioned the misogyny, oppression and discrimination women have to face in some societies. Um, could you explain this in a bit more detail? What, what is she referring to and how does this allow the bonds of friendship between women to develop? Um, well, examples of misogyny, oppression and discrimination against women are found in people of various cultures, ethnicities, religions and even among people who have no religion. So I think what this shows is that we cannot attribute misogyny and oppression of women to a certain group of people only. In fact, women in the most privileged of positions also face discrimination. And, and one trend that we see generally in a society is that the vulnerable members of the society are at a greater risk of harm and discrimination, whereas the powerful in the society are feared and they find it easier to have things their way. And I think this is also why Islam places a huge importance on exercising justice in the society at all levels to ensure protection of rights. And um, the examples of prejudice and oppression against women that Gloria Steinem talks about here are rampant in society, as we see in incidents of domestic violence, sexual assaults, discrimination of women in their rights to education, in their rights to work, in, in their access to opportunities. And these experiences that women face bring them together and in a society where they feel, as you said, undervalued and unsupported, they understand the strength in unity and in standing up for each other's rights. Women understand women better and they share experiences, they share their perspectives, as well as the joys and challenges that come with being a woman and this allows the bonds of friendships to develop. I think another source of empowering women is educating them on the rights of women. It's in uplifting them and valuing one another. And I've seen examples of this time and again in the Ahnemisim community. While um, some societies feel threatened with their women seeking education and understanding their rights, the teachings of Islam stand in direct contrast to this. Our caliph has delivered several discourses and addresses detailing the rights of women and encouraging them to raise awareness of the rights granted to women so they do not succumb to an inferiority complex. His holinesses constantly encourage women to work together to foster sisterhood and to come together to reform the society. His holiness once said, and I quote, My philosophy is... If women work outside the shade of men, they flourish better, end quote. Women flourish and their bonds of friendship grow stronger as they come together. They share their experiences, use their intellect and wisdom for the betterment of society. They also have the power to come together and raise the next generation, so they become protective of women's rights, giving them the due respect while playing their part in creating a society that is free from misogyny, prejudice and oppression of women.
Thank you, Aneza, for your insightful answer. And I love especially the quote you shared of His Holiness and his philosophy. Um, it's definitely, without a doubt, one of my favourites. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> um, let's take a short break here. And when we return, we will delve into the wide portrayal in Western literature and media of women as competitive, jealous and incapable of getting along and the contrasting perspective of Muslim women. You are listening to Sisters on Air on the Voice of Islam radio. Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Mirza Masroor Ahmad has said, Islam is certainly not a patriarchal religion dominated by men. In fact, Islam teaches that in the establishment and development of any nation or community, women play a fundamental and vital role. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Sisters on Air on The Voice of Islam Radio. Before the break, we were talking about how the shared experiences of women in some societies allow them to develop strong bonds of friendship. Now, let's move on to what happens when friendships go wrong and how Islam helps Muslim women to overcome such issues. If you went to primary school in England, I'd say it would be near impossible to graduate it without having heard of the fairy tales. The infamous classic short stories by renowned authors of the likes of Hans Christian Andersen, the Grimm brothers, Charles Perrault and others, who through their storytelling created magical worlds where frogs chat to princesses, wolves huff and puff and gingerbread men run away. In between the fictional fantastical lands and the fairy dragons and enchanting fairy magic, however, are dangerous ethos and values and messages for young minds that are exposed to these stories that widely portray female characters as vengeful, competitive and incapable of getting along. Um, the wicked queen in Snow White, the evil stepmother and ugly stepsisters in Cinderella and Maleficent in Sleeping Beauty, to name just a few. In these stories, women are seen to fear each other, compete with each other and attack each other, with examples of women repeatedly asking who is the fairest of them all and going to the extent of intoxicating other women by poisonous apples to achieve such a status. Unfortunately, these ideas and messages do not just stop at fairy tales. Nearly every medium of literature and media in Western society today portrays women in similar lights. Social media's new and upcoming influencer culture being another example, where practically every part of life, from beauty to fitness to health to food to hobbies, etc., has turned into a competition of who has the most ideal life, and where they flourish and profit off the low esteem and insecurities of consumers, of which young girls are in large numbers. It is immersed in these ideas and messages the girls of this society are growing up, instilling competition for materialistic and unrealistic achievements between them and making them privy to people-pleasing and peer pressure. Of course, creating happy personal relationships and maintaining friendships is in itself not straightforward. 
A person might start out with a loving, supportive connection with a friend, but then inattention, neglect and stressful life events can take their toll, leading to conflict and breakdown. At this point, the friendship, far from being a source of well-being and happiness, becomes a source of stress and dissatisfaction and can result in unpleasant feelings and misunderstandings towards each other. Nadia, these things that I've just mentioned, are they familiar to you? Um, do you have any sort of personal experiences that you'd like to share? And leading on from that, I'd like to ask, how did your Muslim identity help you to navigate those situations? So actually, this question does take me back to my secondary school days as a student here in England myself. I'm sitting here today thinking about all the types of people I have come across. And I think there have been one or two times that where I have had a falling out with a few friends. As you have mentioned yourself that sometimes friendships become almost burdensome and not a source of happiness, but rather more discomfort. In those situations, it can be really hard to end an attachment you have made with someone else. So as a Muslim, and in the second half of your question, you mentioned you know, Muslim identity. I think I relied on Allah Almighty to help me navigate my way out of those situations. Whether that was to pray and ask for any guidance on how to remove this friendship, or if it was just a hardship that could be overcome with time. I think social media did not really play that much of a major part in my friendships, at least back then. However, I am more socially available on those media platforms, and personally, it makes it easier to stay in touch with friends. So the wonderful thing about social media and being Muslim is that there are so many platforms where rightful information by the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is uploaded. So actually, I tend to send those posts and information or even reminders to my friends via private messaging and social media, which makes it really helpful for them to read anything with just a click on the devices. I think it's also important to realize that the best thing we can do for one another is to pray for one another. Whether a person brings you uneasiness or happiness, praying for them and for yourself to be happy in your friendships is really important. And that is something I have been taught by people around me. We learn this from the life accounts of many prophets of God as well. Praying has helped me in many times to clear up my confusion and doubts about friendships. Thank you for your answer, Nadia. And I completely agree. I feel like when we were at school, we were so extremely lucky that social media and phones weren't a big thing then or they were only just starting to gain popularity. So I feel like our generation was kind of lucky to miss the current. As one of my friends who is a secondary school teacher likes to call it social media epidemic. (laughs) And you know what? She describes much of her lesson time is spent confiscating phones and ensuring that her classroom is not being used as the next backdrop to a viral TikTok. (laughs) So we've been referring a lot to Islamic teachings and our identities as Muslim women in the context of our friendships since the beginning of the episode. Let's explore these in a bit more detail. Islam, as well as giving guidance on spiritual and religious matters, also gives guidance on the principles and values a Muslim should live their lives by, including how to navigate their friendships. With there being verses in the Holy Quran, such as, and I quote, and the believers, men and women, are friends of one another. They enjoin good and forbid evil and observe prayer and pay the zakat and obey Allah and his messenger. It is on these whom Allah will have mercy. Surely Allah is mighty, wise, end quote. And this encourages Muslims that they are friends and if they do good, there is a great reward for them. 
Muslims have also been warned about the negative effects of friendships, like the ones we were talking about earlier, in verses such as, and I quote, friends on that day will be foes to each other, except the righteous, end quote. And this is referring to the day of judgment, um, the day Muslims believe every individual will stand before God and be questioned about his or her deeds. Um, but before we go into more detail about how these teachings inspire Muslims on how to navigate their friendships, I wanted to talk about how God himself offers his friendship to his people, which I personally believe is just the most compelling and beautifully powerful thing ever, and indeed is a status all Muslims dedicate their whole lives to achieving. God says in the Holy Quran, and I quote, Behold, the friends of Allah shall certainly have no fear, nor shall they grieve. Those who believed and kept to righteousness, for them are glad tidings in the present life and also in the hereafter. There is no changing the words of Allah. That indeed is the supreme triumph. End quote. And also another quote, Allah is the friend of those who believe. He brings them out of every kind of darkness and into the light. End quote. Furthermore, did you guys know one of the divine attributes of God is Al-Wali, which means the friend, the helper or the guardian. And this points towards how God helps his people get through trials, tribulations and difficult times. And so for Muslims, instead of relying and depending on people during those times, they rely on God and turn to prayer. And for a Muslim, there is no greater comfort. When as, a, as a Muslim woman, do you have any such personal experience you would like to share to our listeners about a time you turned to Allah as your friend and put your full faith and trust in him to help you get through a difficult time? And what happened next? Um, before I speak of my personal experience, I remember once His Holiness Mr. Masood Ahmed, may Allah be his helper, the head of the Indian Muslim community, was asked who had supported him emotionally um, throughout his caliphate and against the severe persecution from the opponents after Allah. And the exemplary response of our caliph was that there was no one except Allah the Almighty. Only Allah the Almighty helps him and that no one else had the courage or strength to do so. Of course, the magnitude of my work or burden is nothing compared to that of our head of community. But listening to his response, I remembered that despite having the belief that God is all-powerful and that he alone is the helper, there had been times that unwittingly a part of me had relied on or um, expected people to solve my problems. Of course, the worldly means that the people that we have around us uh, to help are also available to us through God's grace. But there are times when all efforts fail and a task appears to be absolutely impossible through worldly means. And in such times it becomes manifest that God alone is the helper and he alone can avert hardships. One such experience that I had was in the final year of my undergraduate degree when due to COVID our exams had moved online. And I remember from my last exam of the degree my computer crashed and I could not submit my exam on time. And, and the university had strict regulations on this. They wouldn't consider any technical difficulties or IT problems as reasons for delays in the submission. Um, I informed the lecturers at the time of what had happened, but when I received my final results, my degree was unclassified and deferred to the next year because they didn't give me the marks for the exams that were submitted late. Now, all this while I'd feared that this could happen, and so I kept praying that I would graduate. And at that time, I remember I also had an offer for my master's, which I couldn't take up because I hadn't graduated. So I, I reached out to my tutor and services at the university, but it was to no avail. And then 
at the end I just had no idea what steps to take and I felt completely helpless and I kept thinking that due to this one exam I would have to put everything on hold and wait a whole year to graduate and so I turned to God and prayed to find a way out of this. I remember at that time my parents advised me that I should not give up and instead should knock on every door because prayers and planning go hand in hand. So every time I would hit a roadblock I turned to God more than before putting all my trust in him and during this time, I was constantly writing letters to His Holiness. I wrote to Allah, our guide, requesting for prayers, and I would see that each time a door would close, another would open for me. Finally, um, I had a meeting with a member of the course leadership group. I spoke with them in detail about my case, um, but they said that it was most likely that I would not graduate this year, and that it would be miraculous if something like that were to happen. And I thought to myself that even, even if I were to graduate this year, I would not with the first class as my exam had not gone well. But then we as Ahmadi Muslims believe in a living God and his miracles. So I put my faith in him and continued with prayers. And later that day, I received an email saying that the heads of relevant departments had been consulted and it was their final decision that I would not be allowed to graduate this year. I wrote a final reply to that email just saying why I could not submit on time and why it was important for me to graduate that year, but because they had communicated their decision I didn't think it would make much of a difference. But I knew that along with praying I had to make use of all the available means. I remember the last option I was waiting on was the mitigating circumstances claim I had submitted and that also came back with the same decision. Now at this time I had reached out to anyone I could and just exhausted all means and I remembered a saying of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, about how Allah treats his friends, which I would like to quote here. The truth is that the dealing of God Almighty with them is like that of a friend. Sometimes he accepts their prayers and sometimes he imposes his will upon them. That is what happens in a friendship. At one time a friend accepts what his friend proposes and acts accordingly and at another time makes him accept what he himself wishes." End quote. I thought if I was to turn to Allah the Almighty and put faith in him as my friend, then it was imperative that I remembered this condition and submitted to his will. And so I thought that Allah would have a better plan for me even if it's not what I had wished for. And I kept praying that whatever's best for me would happen and I would be guided through this. The next day, I think around midday, to my surprise, I received an email saying that I graduated with a first-class honours. From everything I'd been told in the past few days from my university, I knew there was no way they would allow me to graduate this year, let alone graduate with a first-class. And I realised it was purely through Allah's grace, which I believed I'd received through the prayers of our Caliph, who turns to Allah the Almighty alone for our sorrows and grief to be removed and teaches us to do the same. Wow, Anessa, I literally had goosebumps listening to that. What a journey and all praise be to God, one that ultimately ended in such amazing news, even though you had to go through all of that to get to it. And I'm so glad it worked out for you. Thank you so much for Thank sharing. <laughs> okay, so in Islam, every Muslim has the duty to fulfill the rights of God and the rights of people, within which friends are included. One extract I'd like to share are the words of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, the founder of our community, and his example of how he navigated his friendships, which I think beautifully encapsulates the teachings of Islam in regards to fulfilling the rights of friends. The promised Messiah, peace be upon him, said, and I quote, The fact of the matter is that my friends are a part of me, as are my limbs. We observe in our daily lives that even the smallest of parts, such as a finger for example, 
if subject to pain, agitates and distresses the entire body. Allah the Exalted is well aware that in exactly the same way, constantly at every moment, I forever remain anxious and concerned about whether my friends are in a state of ease and comfort. This sympathy and compassion, which I feel is not the result of any artificial effort or unnaturally, in fact, just as a mother is incessantly absorbed in ensuring that each and every one of her children are in peace and comfort, no matter their number, I find my heart replete in the way of Allah with the same tenderness and compassion for my friends. This sympathy is so burning that when I receive a letter from any one of my friends alluding to a grief or illness with which they are suffering, my disposition becomes restless and disturbed and I am taken aback by grief. As our dear ones increase, this grief increases in equal proportion. There is no hour in which I am free from some sort of apprehension and grief because from among the vast number of my friends, one or the other is afflicted by some sort of grief or pain. When they inform me of their worries, my heart becomes perturbed and restless. I cannot describe the amount of time that I suffer from worries, since there is no being other than Allah Almighty who can deliver me from such worries and concerns, I engage myself constantly in prayers. The foremost prayer that I offer is for my friends to be saved from grief and worry, because the thought of them overwhelms me with anguish and agony. Then I pray in the general sense that if there's anyone who suffers from any sort of grief or hardship, may Allah Almighty grant them deliverance. My entire effort and every ounce of my passion moves me to supplicate before Allah the Exalted. Much hope can be gained from the acceptance of prayer." End quote. When I first came across this quote, I had to read it and then read it once more because how rare and beautiful was the love the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, had for his friends. And I don't think I've ever come across anything like it. Um, another example I'd like to mention is that of Hazrat Amma Jan, um, may Allah be pleased with her, who was the respected wife of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. Um, she was known as the mother of the believers and was an inspiration to women worldwide. And I'd particularly like to mention the love and the care she had for her female companions and friends, where she selflessly dedicated hours of her day to visit them in their houses to ensure their well-being. Um, if I may just read out a small extract from the book Hazrat Amajan, may Allah be pleased with her, an inspiration for us all. Um, this was published in 2011 um, and I quote, Hazrat Amajan had great compassion for her Ahmadi sisters and was ever concerned for their welfare. She would inquire after their health in a relaxed and friendly manner. If she smelt appetizing aromas emanating from the kitchen, she would ask what was being cooked. Any food she tasted, she would kindly compliment. She would offer advice on home improvements, for example, how to make a simple bench, table, clothes or cushions on a low budget. And this was something she practiced herself. She would encourage ladies how to make their homes both efficient and attractive. End quote. And I just love that so much. Far from the women in the children's stories I mentioned earlier, Hazrat Amajan truly embodies the values of grace, 
power and sophistication and is a true role model when it comes to female friendships where her examples of uplifting other women and helping them to grow in confidence and skill is something we can all learn from. The extract I just read out was just one of the examples of many from the book and I highly recommend all listeners to get their hands on it. There are so many gems and hacks in it for women. It is really, really good. In today's age, other examples of friendship and sisterhood between Muslim women can be seen through the auxiliary organisations of Nasiratul Ahmadiyya and Lajna Imaila. Nadia, could you tell us a bit about the auxiliary organisation of Nasratul Ahmadiyya and your personal experience or favourite memory of the friendships you developed through it and how it impacted your life, especially as a young girl in the society we are living in? Of course. So um, for me, the auxiliary organisation of Nasratul Ahmadiyya had been a very lovely experience. I found it really helpful that I was able to be in the same setting, in the same room with many of similar girls around my age. Attending weekly classes as a Nasra is definitely a highlight of my childhood. And it was really easy to create friendship in those environments because group activities took place and everyone was always so kind to one another. Personally, as a child, my family moved houses a few times, so I was blessed with the opportunity to join Nasra classes in different areas of London and make friends along the way. Nasrat classes were a form of socialising and interacting with other girls my age and there were so many similarities found between all of them, all of us. Many Nasrat friends also attended the same school as me so it was really lovely to see familiar faces walking around in school, people who would automatically smile at you in the hallways. I have made many friendships thanks to this auxiliary organisation and in fact those friendships are still continuing even today. By the grace of God, we, as part of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, have many events where Ahmadiyya Muslims from all backgrounds and from around the country come together. And during those events, it is very evident, actually, how many lovely bonds have been put together through even the Lajna Auxiliary Organization. Thanks to my years as a Nasrat member, I still search for those friends and those people in my life at events like these and it brings a sense of warmth and comfort knowing that I have someone that shares the same beliefs as me and that I have known them for a very long time, all thanks to the roots of our Nasrat days. It is very heartwarming to think of those days and those bonds made. You are clearly able to see the many friendships that have been formed over the years. <laughs> yes, I completely agree. And it's the same for me, actually. I moved houses when I was about 14. So now I see my friends from my Nasrat meeting days, perhaps only like once a year, when we randomly bump into each other at our annual convention or sort of like other programs being held at the mosque. And it's like, as soon as we see each other, it's like we're back to being those seven-year-old girls <laughs> reciting Urdu poems together and preparing art projects for competitions. All the memories just come flooding back. Um, Nadia, what about you? Do you have any specific memories? I have so many memories, but if I were to speak about a specific memory from my Nasrat days, I would definitely like to mention the sports days that were held during the summertime. 
I remember being so excited over those days, taking part in competitions alongside my friends and also cheering them in their competitions. Those are definitely some golden days and I would absolutely love to relive them. <laughs> Another cool memory from my Nasrat days has to be a charity walk actually that was organised by the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. I remember on that day all of my Nasrat friends arrived early at the starting point. We all wore our representative turquoise colour and had such a fun time with one another. I think it is truly a blessing that many of my friends today have been rooted in some golden and core memories that are truly unforgettable. Earlier there was a mention of Hazrat Ammajan, a truly wonderful woman in many ways including female friendships. I just wanted to also add a story I learned about her years ago that has still stuck with me. I remember that Hazrat Ammajan, may Allah be pleased with her, was someone who taught children in her home too children who were not well off and from disadvantaged backgrounds. She would teach them the holy book of Islam, the Quran, and also treat them all the same. There was a time when she even told those children not to treat anyone as superior to one another and to treat everyone as equals. Every time the story pops up into my head, I am, I am reminded about how in Nasrat classes as well, a place where you all are taught religious knowledge, there was always equality in our lessons. Everyone would come together under one roof and learn the same things, help one another and just have fun and enjoy the time. There was never any discrimination relating to anything worldly, but just a bunch of girls coming together in this wonderful auxiliary organisation of Nasrat Ahmadiyya. Mm -hmm, precisely and it really is such a loving and supportive organisation with values that really empowered us and enabled us to be the women or Lajna that we are today. I agree. And speaking of Lajna, um, Inezo, could you tell us a bit more about the aux auxiliary organisation of Lajna Imaila and the impact the friendships you have through it is having on your life as a Muslim woman living in this society today? Of course. Um, Lajna Imaila is the Ahmadiyya Muslim Women's Association, an auxiliary organisation of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, which was founded in 1922 by the second head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmed. May Allah be pleased with him. And so this year we're celebrating the centenary of Lajna Imaila. The founding principle of this organisation was that of women leading women, women empowering other women to develop and progress in knowledge, spirituality and morality. And it was at a time when women were not considered equal members of the society that His Holiness recognized the crucial role and power of women in transforming societies. He said, and I quote, Aside from gaining personal and spiritual knowledge, henceforth, the successful progress of the community is also dependent on efforts by women. End quote. Just earlier we were talking about how women becoming friends of women, women supporting women is a force to be reckoned with. And Lajnai Maila means the servants of Allah. And a hundred years ago, it was created with the objectives of women coming together to excel in knowledge, using their skills and capabilities to uplift one another, to serve the creation of Allah. Um, during my time in Lajnai Maila, I've seen examples of this several times. While the world holds the view that women in Islam are oppressed, I've seen projects that are run and funded by women, including building of maternity hospitals, mosques and model villages, just to name a few. And yet we are constantly guided and motivated by our caliph to have even higher ambitions and to find innovative ways of serving humanity without relying on men to fulfill our objectives. Um, so right after Nasrat al-Ahmadiyya we joined Elajna Imaila, which I did when I was 15. And in all my personal academic journey I found wealth of resources and support available, whether it was career advice, help with studies or just learning new skills. 
This was also a place where I've met with, um, where I met with many inspiring and like-minded women whose experience and knowledge only served to increase my confidence in my identity as a Muslim woman. In fact, many of my Muslim friends are surprised to hear of the initiatives I get to take part in as a member of this organization. Um, one such example was when I joined the kickboxing classes that were arranged by the health and fitness department of Lebanon Myla. And it was very surprising for people when I would tell them that women considered to be oppressed and having no freedom come together in their free time to practice kickboxing. <laughs> Another example of this was um, when we reached the centenary for Lejnai Myla. The president of our organization here in the UK gave us the target to plant 100,000 trees in gratitude for the completion of 100 years and to give back to the community. In, in the effort to do so, I remember when I, I went with a group of ladies to plant the trees and we were the only ladies group out of all the people who had come for tree planting. And we passionately planted the trees and I think it was much more than anyone else there because our site was on a much bigger target. And in such opportunities of coming together and fostering sisterhood, it's always been a source of building confidence and improving self-esteem. Instead of promoting ideas of jealousy and rivalry, as we were talking about earlier, being a member of Legendary Maya has always given me a sense of belonging, an opportunity to unite with women from various backgrounds, with the passion to serve our com community and humanity. Thank you for your answer, Inessa. I completely agree, and what a wonderful thought to end today's episode on. Most people rate moments of connection and shared enjoyment with their loved ones as their most important life experiences. And indeed, friends have that power. Friends can help you celebrate good times and provide support during bad times. Friends prevent isolation and loneliness and make you happy through a joke or a hug when you need it the most. We've had a really interesting discussion about all things to do with friends this past hour. And one thing that has really stood out for me through discussing our experiences as Muslim women is our shared love for the friend who loves us, cares for us and is there for us like no one else. Indeed, it is God who is for us the best of all friends, our source of comfort, solace and happiness in every situation. I've been your host, Khulu Tahir. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Sisters on Air on the Voice of Islam Radio. Thank you once again to our guests, Nadia and Uneza, and our listeners. This program was produced by Shermin Burt. Please join us again next time for more discussion on matters relating to women and religion and society. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you.